everybody, check it out. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to start a podcast. It has all the tools in one place that you need right from your phone or computer to edit and publish your podcast. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listing platforms such as Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started now. I'm using it right along with you. If you would like information on cults in the news, please join my new Substack, frankietees.substack.com. Trigger warning. Some people may find topics discussed in this episode difficult. Please proceed with caution. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 18 of The Frankie Files. I'm Frankie Teets. Well, May has five Tuesdays, and as promised, I have a very, very special guest. Her book impacted me so much. She's knowledgeable about two different cults because she lived through both of their belief systems. Let me tell you what she's about. There's a lot to tell for her young age. She's from Generation Y. Daniela is an author, speaker, a group behavior specialist, a veteran, a cult survivor, a mother, and as she says, a human. Daniela was born a third generation member of the infamous Children of God religious cult. Trafficked around the world, moving to America and escaping at age 15. She graduated as college valedictorian and went into the U.S. Army as an intelligence officer. She deployed twice to Afghanistan in 2011 and 2014. She was on the Army's first female engagement teams, an experiment which led to the repeal of the Women Combat Ban, historical stuff. She was 101st Unit, famous for the film Band of Brothers, a recipient of the Presidential Volunteer Service Award from Obama. Yep, she's been to the White House. She's currently pursuing a Master of Arts in Organizational Psychology at the Harvard Extension School. Her upcoming memoir release is called Uncultured. And as she says in the book, you can't say culture without the word cult. Hmm. Point taken. Her name is pronounced Daniela. You can view more about Daniela at uncultureyourself.com, and I recommend that you do. I'm incredibly pleased to introduce to you Daniela Mastanyak young Good morning, Daniela. Hi, Frankie. Thanks so much for having me. So excited. Well, I couldn't be speaking to someone more opposite than me. We both survived a cult, but you went into total corporate organized military after your experience and school, and I went into stripping. <laughs> so total like uh, stage slash burlesque and entertainment. But I'm really pleased to speak to you on my new podcast. You're the first guest, uh, technically, because my my mom was the first guest, but 
You're the first non-family guest. Uh, the honor is truly mine today. Oh, well, thank you so much. Um, we might not have as little in common as you think, because I did put myself through college waiting tables at like a little short, short mm -hmm. restaurant. And uh, mm -hmm. short, yeah. short, <laughs> I got you. And uh, we have to do whatever we can to make money. And a lot of times that means using your body. Sadly, um, when you've already been exploited, it isn't that That's hard. Exactly correct. I find three categories of cult survivors. One, those who people were born into a cult. Two, those of us who was, were taken pre-teen to a cult by our family. And three, those who were over teen, puberty age, and went to a cult on their own or with their family. But also, I would say the fourth category is mm -hmm. children whose parents were born in the cult. Mm. Um, now, I want to tell people that I've read the advanced copy of the memoir, Uncultured. It's not out yet. It's going to be released September 2022 by St. Martin's Press. And people can pre-order it now. Please, listeners, get my hint and go do so. My review, as a cult survivor, I found Uncultured gripping, moving. And I cried. I cheered for you till the very last intense paragraph. It took courage to live the life you have so far, and it takes courage to conquer the years-long negative programming you endured. It's riveting to follow the details as one person seeks to live beyond their fate, set by a destructive religious cult, sex cult. Congratulations on this powerful work of nonfiction and on your new life. Thank you so much, Frankie. I, you know, think it's pretty incredible where I am today and how much I love my life and still how hard it was to write this book. Um, and I got lucky that I had a wonderful team. What's your publishing experience like? How did you meet your literary agent? So I, uh, I'll start by saying, like, I always kind of knew I was going to write a book, but I didn't really know what book I wanted to write. And in 2018, mm. I read this book called Educated that was a memoir, but like so much more, right? Um, like, okay, that's the model. That's what I got to do. Um, so everyone laughs at you when you say you're going to write the next Educated. But I set a plan and I started reverse engineering and I realized that I needed to get an article that was like splashy and that got interest and that showed the range of the story, right? So Basically, mm -hmm. I had to do mm -hmm. 3,000 words what I did eventually in the whole book of Uncultured. So I that, you know, I joined different networking groups for writers. Um, one of them, an editor put a call for pitches from a magazine called Narratively. Mm -hmm. She wanted a story she'd never heard before or a new twist on a story everyone tells. So, so my pitch was, oh, what about <laughs> Americans cheering on 9-11? Right. Then I'm going to show you the parallels. So, you know, when when my people are cheering on 9-11, I'm like, hmm, maybe this is not right. Mm. But 10 years later in a military situation, you know, I also had the same experience. Like, uh, maybe this is all, you know, programming and messaging. So I wrote that article and it got published and it was like four days later, I got an agent called me and wanted to sign me on the nice. spot. And that was the only interest I had from that 
but it got me in with a, a pretty big agency in New York. And then from there, I would say a lot of the rest of it was timing that cults are in the zeitgeist right now because of everything that's going on in the world, right? All of the extremism, what I like to call the culting of America. Um, I had an agent, I had an idea, but I knew I wasn't like that it would take me 10 years to write a really good memoir like Educated. And I knew I needed to do it in two because I was watching a cult leader run the country. And that, to tie this back in, both to the writing, because I think sometimes when people try to write about closed off group experiences, they just give you too much. They brain dump. It takes you six months to get onboarded into the military. So you can't dump that on someone Mm -hmm. in a 300 page book. And so working with two women eventually that helped me write the book, I had no familiarity with this cult or the military, but were, you know, great writers and storytellers um, was a really interesting way, first of all, to write a great story, but also to sort of unlock myself and deal with my own disassociation and get emotions onto the page that in a way that I think ended up being very healing for me. Oh, I can only imagine it was cathartic. But so they were your like first audience that would be peering into a child born into a cult. Yes. And that's actually exactly how I describe it, right? Like we've all had that experience where you Mm. read a book and you want to ask the author questions for just 10 hours. Yeah. And they would be the ones to do exactly what you said. Like, tell me more here. Um, There's a great line in the prologue that says, I was born a soldier. And... I did not write Mm. that line. I wrote two or three or four very wordy paragraphs comparing. You're saying that you were born a soldier. She helped you hone it into a public uh, consumable. Translate our experience into normal people speak, kind of. And that's something I'm going to get into a lot later because I think there is definitely a learning curve on how to communicate what we've got to say. Oh, yes. It's hard. It's hard because we have our language that we were programmed with and we were just like, you know, this is so wrong. And people want to know, well, what was wrong specifically? And then you go, well, let me tell you. And they're like, wait, that's too much. Yes. To find a therapist that didn't want to just hug me and cry. Okay. Because, you know, even people that have studied stuff, you know, don't sometimes don't know how to deal with what we've been through. You've been through a lot of trauma. You've been through a lot of trauma. Well, another point I wanted to make sure and cover is uh, your lieutenant colonel seemed to be really a champion of your telling your story. Was he an influence? He was definitely an influence. Um, You know, so Lieutenant Colonel Scott Halter was really, I think, you know, other than one lieutenant I worked with in the military who did not survive. And then when I get to John, yes. And then when I get to start working for Colonel Halter, it's like, you know, this is probably only the second time in my life that I've kind of seen good leadership and a man who's just, mm-hmm. you know, is, is sort of that transformational leader. And he was yeah. the one to tell me when I was getting out of the military, you know, not only did he help me, which is something that is not that common. Usually once you say you want to leave the army, you're like dead to the leadership. Right. And he... Right. He connected, he to help me, but he also told me, like, hey, write about everything, 
right? He, he found out about my mm. background because we all went through some hard times together. And he told me right. to write about all of it. There's something to this. I talked about it at the end of Uncultured, who was like, find this threat. There's some connection. And to your point, Frankie, I had to learn to talk about it, right? I had to learn. I grew up in a sex cult, so I know a lot about group behavior. People think they're crazy. Um, like, show that. Well, I'm, I'm, you know, new to speaking out as well, but 35 years has taken me, okay, to decide. Because I want to do, like you said, just go on with my life. Just figure out what I want to do. Just put it behind me. <laughs> it doesn't always work that way. You got to heal. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. I've lost family members over writing this book, right? They are still closeted. For me, it was literally killing me, right? Because the thing people don't understand when you grow up without a childhood in the way that we did is that it's the most dangerous things, the things mm -hmm. that will always get you is the things you don't know you don't know. I'm trying to hide my whole background and be a professional. It was killing me to not speak out a girl that after high school went off to the military, but nobody knows what happens to the daughters of America after they disappear behind the high commune walls. The high commune walls, huh? The Frankie Files. Cults, Mind Control, and Sexuality in Society by Frankie Tease. Well, you mentioned the high school experience uh you know not many people go to high school and say at administration uh you don't exist <laughs> yeah boy you know high school and then you went to college you were already interested in learning which had been restricted by the cult what did you major in um and was it university of texas was it ut university of texas at dallas just got to go back last week and do the commencement speech there which was yeah, so I majored in literature. Um, okay, got it. That shows, yeah, in your writing. It really was a thing for me that I just, I didn't know what else to do. And I couldn't do, in high school, I struggled just, you know, when you're dropped in at 16, right, just to get through the basic math, the basic science. So I, I knew yeah, that wasn't yeah. really an option for me. Um and I mm -hmm. ended up at a computer science school, but they had a great liberal arts program. Literature teaches you about the world. So it was my way, studying literature and history was my way of teaching myself about yeah. the world while I was still in this kind of warm embrace of a college. You know, being surrounded by your peers for the first time and not, and just feeling so alien. A lot of people don't understand the culture shock we go through. And you did a great job in those chapters of explaining, like, you're surrounded by college kids. You totally put on the face and fit in. You did in your life. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think so much about that now, because that was one of the things I realized as I was writing Uncultured. Um, and actually, the, the chapter where I'm in college was the hardest yeah. chapter for me to write emotionally. So interesting. That was where I kind of sort of had this moment to choose to be myself and go out into the world, into the unknown. And instead, okay. I chose a toxic man and I chose the military and I chose to start putting on these like what I call armor now, right? Like these different personalities. Yes. 
wasn't until, you know, I'm writing uncultured, I'm getting a master's in group dynamics, organizational psychology, and I'm studying social identity theory, right, which is group group identity. And it hits me okay. that, oh, my God, I'm in my 30s, and I've never developed a personal identity. Hope they take that away from you. And you know this. it was easy for me to go perform the role of the straight A student. To interject there, to interject and, and piggyback on that, forced to be in the group and comply, but also forced confessions that are not necessarily true. Whatever gets the group attention back off of you at that critical moment when they punish us for thinking for ourselves, the only time you get to focus on yourself is when you did something wrong to them. And that's insane. No personal development whatsoever. Yeah, that's absolutely, so, yeah. That's absolutely right, right? That whole, like, critique, tear down, build back up. Yeah. Right? You, you have to sublimate yourself for the group. Even just the way you said it there. Like, even when I joined the Army, I was like, all right, I will be the fastest girl running. Right. And that will right. get, that will get only one kind of attention on me and mm-hmm. all the rest of the attention off of me. Whatever works. Yeah. And that mindset, that group think, like you said, you see it around in the world. It's hard for us not to see it in play. Like, wow, look at these people confessing anything that that agrees with the propaganda. Look at everyone falling in line. It is shocking to see it played out. It's like, so wait a minute. There's something to this whole dynamic. Yes. And I want to get into the military now, since you brought it up already, and the running. How did your leg heal so good that you can be such a runner? You can run a five-minute, 15-second mile, not a six-minute mile? That's insane. So I, I laughed when I saw this question, because this is where the military starts sounding really culty, because the okay. military recruiters will coach you to lie to the oh. military entrance processing facility. Oh, no. um, and of course, it's not like I had any medical records anyways, right? Uh-huh. You know, we didn't even get to, you've had oh, a shit. leg broken. They were like, in the interview preparing me, they're like, have you ever taken Tylenol for anything? And I'm like, uh-huh. yes. They're like, don't say that. Yeah, so it's this, it's uncultured, right? We have this theory doctrine called deceivers yet true, when it's like a good thing mm-hmm. to lie mm-hmm. for the group. And, you know, before you even get in the military, you're being coached on that. With How about that? Healthcare. How um, about that? So they want you to get in. So they tell you to, to hide your past. So it never yeah, even came out. Bodies. You know, there's a very interesting parallel that I found between the way medical care was demonized in the cults, but it's also mm-hmm. mental and mental and physical health care is very demonized in like military organizations. I actually think it comes down to when you're in these total control groups, group is always more important than the individual. But by definition, medical care is putting yourself individual first. That's one of those organizational dynamics that I think is really hard to get around, mission-focused groups. Wow. So you were already, basically, if you kept... Your cult mentality, you fit in perfect to the army. Put yourself so aside, easy. push. So easy. Yeah. 20 so hour days. So many of us leave cults and go into the military mm-hmm. because it's 
literally all through basic training when all of my my counterparts are just horrified with how hard and terrible this is. To me, this is just easy to afraid (laughs) of. I was going to snap to attention. I called the drill sergeant uncle instead of drill sergeant. Oh, Oh my Lord. Whatever. And that's, that's, (laughs) you're blowing me away. Um, When you were in Children of God, um, and we'll get into a lot more detail about Children of God later, but they use the term being a soldier in God's end time army. Do you think that really stuck with you and was kind of why you were attracted to the military? Is this too on the nose? Yes. So David Berg, our prophet, had like washed out of the military. He actually did pattern this very much after like a militaristic um, setup. So the whole Children of God, right, was 10,000 people all over the world. You would get moved around by leadership. Um, Right. All all of these deployed similar to the army. Yes. You would get Mm -hmm. deployed for missions, you know, for the need of the group. We called when the adults got days off. It was called R&R. No way. Yeah. And, you know, we were, and, and we didn't, we never got to stockpiling weapons, probably because we went international instead of staying in the U.S. Yeah. But we did battle drills and battle training, right? Like, mm-hmm. that was our main focus of our play was where, like, American kids play bad guys, cops and robbers, whatever. We would play Heaven's Girl, which is us running away from the Antichrist forces. And, you know, we talk about it now. And, like, we were all just growing up being taught that we were going to, you know, die as martyrs in fire at the, by the age mm-hmm. of 10 or 12. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how different is that from being a soldier, knowing that you're going to go off to war and potentially die? Okay. Oh, the cult I was in also used the doomsday uh, threat constantly. If you leave, it'll be spiritual death. If you aren't here when the world ends you won't ascend into heaven slash the spaceship (laughs) as the morning land cult was the place i i was raised and so when i started doing this research it blew me away that the doomsday thing has been around forever and and fear specifically of what happens after death right right nobody can prove that absolutely i think that even that right if you think the context of religion and then you think about soldiers well like soldiers all humans want to be immortal and soldiers who die for their country are immortal right they live it's very attractive so it's a yeah it's a when you have a transcendental mission it's very easy to motivate large groups of humans to follow you well said Uh, now another thing i wanted to quote from the book regarding the army days you said, good uncles uphold the system that abuses us. I'll tell you, that's one of the times I closed it and cried. The scene in your deployment, we are surrounded by uncles making a decision about your future career. That It's so powerful. It's so much like what you experienced in your youth. They had everything to do with deciding your fate when it finally in this moment, which I won't give away too much, but you had a, I don't know what you call it, a realization or an outing by default about your past and 
and the irony of the situation you went through in the military and what you had experienced, it was not lost on me. You say maybe the way out of this was through. Please explain. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, first, when we talk about the good uncles, right? And I, I think in the book, you have examples of them. One of them is my stepfather. Um, then you have examples yeah. in the army of these are like, these are good men. Um, right. And the reason this is important is because, of course, people have a really hard time seeing their extreme belief systems, whether that's racism, sexism, Correct. cult think, whatever, because Correct. they're like, I, I can't be a racist. I'm a good person. Right. right. And so when I am looking at the system, right, yeah. even my my grandfather is one of those men that, you know, we don't have reports of him raping and beating children. But he was in the leadership for 50 years. And the only reason his daughter was born in the group and impregnated at 14 and that I was born in the cult was because he joined the system and then stayed in it. Right. Yes. And of course, when when we get to the military side, right, now we're looking at women in the military essentially as an oppressed class, right? Because yeah. we're such a small number and we were kept second class with the combat ban. We literally yeah. were told we weren't good enough for certain things. Yeah. So you have these good uncles, right? These good men, these leaders that I love, but they're still unable to like help the individual, Absolutely. you know, and I recently actually asked Scott Halter, Lieutenant Colonel Scott Halter, who's Colonel Scott Halter now, if he thinks that an organization can ever put the needs of the individual first. And he thinks it would be pretty impossible. It's um, built otherwise. Human beings created systems and organizations to be stronger than the individual. That's the whole point, right? Mm -hmm. Strength in numbers, we're stronger in groups. And the army song that we chant every day literally says, the army goes rolling along. This brings me to this moment, of course, where, you know, the climax of the book. Again, I've, I've been through everything before I even got to the military. And then I've been through everything in the military and still, it's not enough. These group of men are going to decide my fate. Yeah. And I had this moment, you know, I've since found out it's called the glass cliff, where women just leave the workforce they're in because breaking the glass ceiling is just too hard. As I say in Uncultured, you know, we're trying, we're trying to not bleed to death from the shards of glass, from the, the glass ceilings we've shattered. I just have this moment where I realize, like, not only is it too much, maybe for anyone, but for me, I've put myself back in the situation where all of the power is out of my hands. And in doing so, I also was avoiding my own life and my own triggers and playing this men's game for so long, but it still wasn't working. And so, you know, when I am at the peak of my professional success and I'm falling apart, that's maybe the only way out is through, right? Like that's me realizing, as I think so many of us cult babies or trauma survivors in general go through that, like, mm -hmm. there is no option to just put it all behind you. <laughs> Damn it. You have, if you think of like, if you're swimming in the ocean and a giant wave comes, the, <laughs> the best thing you can do is just face it head on and dive into it. That's right. Um, and come up the other side. 
And you did. The Frankie Files. Cults, Mind Control, and Sexuality in Society by Frankie Tees. And you triumphantly articulated that moment that we all try to avoid, to be honest. It's like you just want to be anything other than talking about this, but then you realize you can help others by talking about it. So it's really important. And this is part of the thing that I believe is that this propaganda to shut up the rest of our lives helps cults continue. And we have to break yes. that. Yes. And, and one of the things I want to say about that is, you know, I actually didn't, my why for pulling the trigger on doing this book and not my whole life wasn't actually related to the cult. It was related to the army. This woman, this low-ranking Mexican-American soldier named Vanessa Guillen was murdered. She yes, disappeared. Ma'am. They didn't look for her. Yes. And I will never mm. forget. I'm sitting in the dark in my house, super triggered. Mm. And I'm like, why won't they stop killing us, right? Raping us, beating us, killing us. Yes. And I had that realization that it's the parallels of kids in a cult and women in the military. Somebody is going to have to tell their story bleed their soul onto the table and yeah. not care about the blowback from the group, which is really, right. really hard for military women. And I was like, somebody is going to have to tell this story at the national level and make people yes. care. And then I was like, oh, oh no, it's me. I followed that story. It was her immediate supervisor that did all the, the hiding and cutting up of her body. And then they all covered it up. Yes. And that they was- covered it up. And that the exact part of it, right, was like, I'm seeing this story of this low-ranking Mexican-American yeah. woman who didn't get looked, even get looked for, right? I know. And I, I knew in that moment, they would have looked for me because I was a much higher status person in Captain. that organization, right? Captain, white. The skin, <laughs> um, I understand. Yeah, even though I didn't have family that would have come looking for me, right? It would have been much Correct. easier Correct. for them to get away with me disappearing. But So it's it, that it, you were it, an asset, an invaluable asset. It's just that I was considered a higher status person in that right. organization, right? I know I have the story, the background story, and the, the military story to make people care. And I think, this yeah. is the hope for September, right, we get this book into the national mass market that people are going to start caring. People care about what's going on for so. these cult kids and people have to start caring about the daughters of America because we're so mm-hmm. outnumbered um, and yeah. locked away behind these walls. Well, I'm glad you're raising the issue of Vanessa Guillen and I hope people can check on what that story is because it was really a tragedy. It was real, you know, her life was taken her whole family are activists on this topic now. They were thrust into the spotlight with no choice. So that's wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, regarding, you know, female in the military, I thought the quote was really powerful. Women were considered scaled down men. <laughs> now. Yes. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> oh, that's so little carbon um, copies of lesser people, huh? I, I mean, and, and when you think about it, that's kind of what it is, right? If you're saying, if you're telling people, 
these women are your equal, but they're not good enough to do the things you do. They're not good enough for us to even train them and let them try. Then of right. course you're actually programming people that they are lesser humans than you. One of your main jobs as a woman in the military is to make everyone forget that you're a woman so that yeah. they'll let you do your job. And you did and because you could pass all of the physical tests with flying colors. I mean, I tried so hard, but uh, I look very much like a girl. I realized years later, like by mm -hmm. jumping higher and running faster and trying to prove that I'm not one, I'm not one of those women. Yeah. I was only proving kind of their game, right? It mm -hmm. was too easy for people that mm -hmm. knew me to be like, oh, women can't hack it in combat. I mean, Captain Mestinek is an exception. So even in that way, it was like just this realization of you cannot win in a game that was designed for you to lose, right? I know, I know. I mean, it's ironic, up. right? It's a trap. It's a trap because yeah, by, by going for the gold like you did, you you your accomplishments are astounding. You know, just putting that aside, but um, what didn't you accomplish? Uh, it, it was just that, that playing the game enables the whole thing to continue. It, it really is, you, you articulate well the conundrum of the whole situation in the Army. You do. It was an, yeah. an eye-opener for me because I never really have had any exposure to someone who's been in the military, uh, even though my grandfather and my father were military. Um, I didn't grow up with them. So, so this yeah. was a really good enlightenment for regular folks like me. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's so interesting, right? Doing these interviews or having the book come out now because the combat ban went down in 2013. Now okay. we've had almost a decade of women in combat. Um, oh. We've had, you know, for example, recently there was a hundred the 101st ra woman ranger graduated okay. and like, I was able to pass all the tests for it when I was in the military, but legislatively I was not allowed to go try. Damn. So there's this really important part of culture change where like yeah. the legislation, the bans, the requirements, like those are really crucial. So I don't also want it to be like, you know, some people still have to play the game. Right. And I'm so proud of all the like super strong women that are, playing the game now because that's the only way we kind of equalize it and change things. I do believe, you know, just like you can't be a black person in America without experiencing trauma. I do mm -hmm. believe that you can't be a woman in this masculine dominated misogynistic in its systems organization yep. without having trauma. That quote about women being scaled down men was actually, <laughs> you know, we were sent into combat with, armor vests that would not have kept us alive because right. they failed to account for boobs it doesn't freaking fit good example of people's like what people think of as casual sexism or not that bad or you know you are an intelligence officer why did it matter if you couldn't be in combat like mm. well because i was sent into combat with zero combat training and right. armor that didn't work because of my gender <sighs> Some things get lost in translation and transition. Off topic, your TED Talk was great. Uh, lost in transition. Nice. Wow. It was well done. Yeah.
So another insight for me, like I was saying, regular folks who aren't exposed to uh, military, you cover briefly the, the whole proxy aspect of war that um, contractors participate with military in the war and they don't have to follow like any of the uh, protocol that a military would have to do. Because essentially, like when you're in the the embrace of the military, you fall under military law, right? Mm-hmm. So if I were to murder somebody dur- during my six and a half years in the military, right. I would be in military jail for the rest of my life, not right. in a civilian jail. Mm-hmm. But that becomes very problematic, especially when you look at the sexual assaults that go on just... You bet. I mean, every woman is scared. There's parts of the base they literally call Rape Alley. We're all told to hold our weapons at the ready when we're walking home at night. And if you ask your boss what they think that does to your mental state, of course, you know, if contractor, like, assaults someone, there's just nowhere to get justice. We already lose hope of getting justice when another soldier assaults us, especially a contractor from another country, right? Because in Afghanistan, the combat in Afghanistan was a coalition of 66 nations. So, for example, my my contractor story in Uncultured, you know, he's a former U.S. Marines, but he's with the Canadians. So you weren't able to get any action on what you experienced? So, I mean, in in my case specifically, um, I didn't even try, right? Because I, again, like, you know, there's sort of this complicated setup, and I explain it in the book. The military has this law essentially banning sex when you're deployed under their good order and discipline. Um, I have this theory that anytime you try to legislate sex in an organization, it's very, very problematic. In my experience in the military, what I lived through was like, they didn't demonize the sex, they, or make the sex taboo, they made having a vagina taboo, right? So you're watched everywhere you go, you're alone. In my case, you know, I'm essentially assaulted in a date rape fashion, and I'm somewhere where I'm not supposed to be. And people now will even act horrified by that. But anyone honest will be like, yep, in 2011, if you were Mm -hmm. a lieutenant, that got yourself raped because you were off with a guy alone, mm-hmm. that would not end well for your career. Like not only would you not get supported, but you would get shown the door of your career. You know, it was so awful because I had always told myself, right. If this ever happens to me again, I'm going to fight back. I'm going to report. Like I'm not going to be one of those women. And not only do I not report it. Right. But I'm, I'm armed in that scene and he isn't, you know, I'm really trying to show, I think that how complicated the dynamics are of the, the warning that gets issued to the women of like, Oh, just don't get raped. Yeah. Just, please, Hey, don't please get raped. Go deploy. Yeah. Please don't deploy. Go live in it. That's a t-shirt. I think don't get raped. That's a t-shirt. Maybe, maybe, coming. maybe I'll add that one to my website. Get your merch together. No, okay, but seriously, I'm sorry. We we got to laugh at this pain sometimes. But, but Daniela, my heart goes out to you that, you know, I also have experienced date rape after slavery, sex slavery. It's like, you know, we're, to be very honest, men know when they smell an injured woman. 
And we need attention too, you know? Yeah, the statistic I've heard is that 83% of adult assault victims were also assaulted as children. I'm now into writing the second memoir, and it's even more apparent. You know, every time I write about my early life and all of these sort of like dangerous situations I was putting myself in. Right. But it is exactly what we were programmed to do. So do you think that because we, our trauma was so normalized during the early years, that's why we put ourselves in dangerous situations? It's like, oh, well, this feels familiar. Part of it, too, is I think that we just were lonely, right? When you leave your group. You yeah. lose all your camaraderie. You're so That's alone. Right. That's and right. I always say, you know, because I'm this white blonde girl that grew up in Latin America in a cult, right? Nobody yeah. ever stereotypes me correctly, except <laughs> for predators. In high school by myself, yeah. you see a 16-year-old walking home under a freeway at night with a fast food uniform. That teenager doesn't really have parents Back that up. are out protecting her. Right. And even so. even when you describe sitting in the classroom and your first husband walks in and zeroes in on you and walks right over, it's like, God damn, the homing beacon for these predators, they smell vulnerability. And for our part, I think like we are looking for somebody to teach us about the world and to take yeah. care of us and to sort of be that, you know, I get very lucky because I meet this girl, Danielle, on my first day of basic training, yeah. she becomes my guide, but she's right. not a, a toxic person, right? Whereas my first husband, I mm-hmm. latch onto him kind of for the same reason, right? I tell my backstory, like I need a guide but he is a very toxic person. The Frankie Files. Cults, Mind Control, and Sexuality in Society by Frankie Tees. And it was so ironic when you met Danielle, not Daniela. Parents were intense missionaries, and I have a lot of siblings. And she goes, wait, was it Children of God? My blood just turned to ice. I can't even imagine, because my cold is so small, no one's ever done that to me. Yeah, it has happened to me twice now, like before I started talking about it. And it was very strange both times. But then the thing that became very nice, right, was this this thing that we don't realize that as cult survivors, especially when we're not open about our past. And I mentioned earlier, like, you just don't know basic things. And there's no explanation for it. (laughs) Yeah, we Um, skipped that whole indoctrination yeah, part exactly i i joke about it now like my husband my amazing husband is retired after 20 years in the army and mm-hmm. imagine if he just tried to pretend that those 20 years didn't exist right? exactly he just tried to pre- present himself to the world your whole backstory right like pretty it much makes sense and so, people know that yeah yes and so but when you're closeted yeah. like people know it doesn't make sense but they don't yep. know why they don't know why you're lying. It's true. And, and, and we we are covering up for our abusers. That's the sick and sad part. It's like holding exactly. a secret. It, it's like I finally went, wait a minute, I'm not lying for my abusers anymore. And I had a moment like you did in the guard town. And, and I was like in 2014 when I decided to speak out, which was the first time I ever decided to do so, I told my mom a lot of stuff. and. I had never told her that happened to me. She was shocked. And I really 
felt a crisis of faith. Like maybe this life is not worth living, you know? And, and I remember like you, you wait a minute, if I do this, they will win. That ain't going to happen. They already, I'm not keeping their secrets any, any longer. It's over. And it is a moment. It is a moment. And I, you know, I think one of the things that's so interesting when we, because there's always this split, right, with trauma survivors, the ones who want to talk about it and the ones who don't. Right. And they, they say, they're like, oh, I just want to get over it. It is true that once you acknowledge it and once you start talking about it, like, it, it takes over a bit because there's so much. You have so much to contextualize, right? And I give this this analogy in Uncultured of having like a lockbox in my head where I put all the things I don't want to mm. deal with. But then yes. when you open it up, like Pandora's box, right? And and you really going to have to start dealing with all of these things. But I also yeah. think it. Like it's exhausting, it's terrifying, but it becomes a beautiful thing later on because that's yes. when you get to post-traumatic growth. And that's when you get to, mm-hmm. you know, like in the end of Uncultured where I'm sitting on my deck in fake Brazil, you know, and I've, I've built this sort of mm-hmm. beautiful world for myself with all of the crazy cult baby things I was exposed to that were good, you know, and, and when I... Yeah got to sort through my life very deliberately, I got to keep the things that I got that are good, right? And and bring those into my life. For example, raising my own daughter to be trilingual. And it, it is that very same thing, right? It's like, I told all my own stories, so nobody has power over me anymore. I, w- I would like to put a big highlighter on that. That, you know, once I decided to speak out, they can't, make me look crazy so I won't speak out. None of that. It's out now. I have the power. I'm taking it back. Exactly. And we took our yeah. power back. And so, we and took it back. else you said, Frankie, that's so important, right? Because I've spent, about your mother, right? I've spent a Big decade topic. having conversations with my mother. But still, right. when she read my book, was some of the first times she realized the extent of the abuse that I've gone through. Because she, she had thought she protected me. But what I think is so important about that was that I, in my subconscious, as a five or six-year-old child, I thought she knew, right? Especially because my mom had grown up in it too. So I thought, you know, this person who loves me and wants to protect me, accept these things, right? And so I think like that's an important part of healing for cult survivors specifically is you're locked in a system. Yes. a lot of times your own parents didn't know what was going on, but as children, we don't Absolutely. understand that. And um, true. I did this uh, intro to adult children of cults episode four, I think. And I was reading this article um, by a family therapist named in the broadcast. I don't want to mispronounce his name. He says that often we protect our parents. We were parented so early we protect them and shield them from knowing all the details. Yep. What a strange freaking thing when they are the ones who enabled us to be exposed in the first place. It's like, <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's a syndrome. So the moment we confront our parents is definitely a growing moment. Yes. And even, and it took a while, even for me with my process of excommunication, like I was, I wanted to leave 
I couldn't break my parents' hearts and tell them that, right? So I'm still Understood. trying to protect them. And then finally, right. I realized, like, no, you just have to break the biggest rule there is so that they want to get rid of it. But it really was this, right? Like, when my stepfather walks in the room and yells at me that I am a slut, <laughs> I can then yell <sighs> back, I want to leave the family, right? Whereas yes. before that, I was still trying to protect my mom and my dad from knowing that I'm this evil backslider that doesn't care about their religion, knowing that their brothers have been hurting me and doing this stuff for me for all these years. Right. Right. The irony of a sexually abused person being called a slut. Wow. You mean an indentured sex slave? Is that what you meant to say? Yes. Yes. Okay. Now let's get into this. Um, Children of God, family international. You were born into in the eighties, your mother merely age 14 when she had you. The dynamics of your family are sprawling, even though you explained them very well in the book. I couldn't still get my mind around it. How many siblings do you have? Who is your father? And how are you related to the clergy in this cult? Yes. So we'll just start back with so David Berg, this random guy who decides to start the cult. Um, 70s? In, the, in 1968. Um, 68 in California, in California. Yes. And okay. Thank two you. Years later, they get to Texas. They've brought pretty much the whole group there. And my great grandmother ends up donating property to him, his first property. Um, mm. and it's as her daughter goes off to join these children of God, Jesus people. And <clears throat> she's kind of so happy to have her troubled daughter removed that she <laughs> rich, rich Dallas lady gives him a house. My grandfather, like they were already together when they joined the cult. My grandfather brought my grandmother into the cult and then my great grandmother donated mm-hmm. land. And then Got it. my mother was born. And then mm-hmm. when she was 14, her dad, who was one of the one of the two men running the finance for the whole 10,000 people organization at this point, Right. And right. the close to the leader. Yeah. And so the other man running the finance who happened to be older than my grandfather was the one that then impregnated my mom. During one of her uncle's sessions? Yes. Uh, yes. During a session when she was sent to his bed. Um, and then, but so then, so, it's so like, through my biological father, or I will say I have 25 siblings that I know of. And it, that's through you know, what I like to call cult math, which is like my mom and the three, my, my, my mom, my actual <laughs> biological father, my biological siblings, and then the two other men she's been married to and all of the yeah. other step or half like siblings that I have through that. Um, she was a baby making machine for this cult. Yeah. She had seven kids in 14 years by the age of 30. Yeah. And then now, now wow. she has eight eight children total okay. um and and yeah. she just turned 50 yeah that's rough yeah and that was called that, that so was that called, sums you know, that up. that was called going for the gold uh which you mentioned earlier in a military context right but in the right. family and children of god they're, they're actually they're very pleased their, yeah their doctrine was right forced polyamory and no birth control yep. so you have basically as many mm-hmm. kids there are some families that have like every color of the rainbow children with the same mom and 
all these different dads mm-hmm. and the, you know, the, the children of God used religious prostitution or what they called flirty fishing or hooking for Jesus to bring both money and membership into the group. And then those babies <sighs> were called Jesus babies and they were all like, Oh girl. Yeah. It's, it's amazing to me how forward they are about all of this. It is not hidden or occult in nature. It is a doctrine. The women must produce. They have to welcome the uncles into the bed. The children are not not off limits. This is why the first line of uncultured is the first rule of a cult is you're never in a cult, right? Mm -hmm. It, It takes me two years after I've left the cult and changed my whole life to realize Mm. like, oh, it was a cult, right? Because like cult cult was the dirtiest word in our world, right? Like we Mm -hmm. we were Mm -hmm. definitely not a cult. We knew we were accused of being a cult and we had all of the reasons that we could tell you why we weren't a cult, which is the exact same thing, you know, military people do to you. If you suggest that maybe there are some, some cultic practices, they will immediately go, oh my God, we're not a cult. Here's X, Y, Z reasons. Well, I mean, they, and they took the care to even create indoctrinating books to get the children ready, you know, let your uncle touch you, whatever, for God, because you can get raped outside of here, but you can never get raped inside of here because it's all God's love. That was exactly it, right? And we had these kids comics, like one called Heaven's Girl, and there's literally a scene where she is being gang raped and she is witnessing to the men and converting them to god while they're raping her and so in the end it's supposed to be this beautiful thing and these were our bedtime stories my dad my stepfather is the one illustrating these comics Mm -hmm. um and you know now it's unbelievable now, of course, they like to say they didn't know any of it. They didn't know what was going on. It was just a few bad apples. And I always oh, okay. to like these comics. Like everyone was reading these comics. Wow. I'd like to see some of those. Um, but definitely the idea, you know, I've been grappling with this because my abusers were females off topic, um, but uh, three different people. But And it was a sex slavery situation too. tap, 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 time to go, you know. But um, when I think about religion, men wrote these books. Men concocted a lot of these ideas and it's working well for them, you know, like especially with children of God. It's just show me a church, any cult or religion that didn't follow a doctrine of a male. And that works very well. Of course, they work sex into it. Of course, they're going to make sure they get serviced. And women can do it, too. I just want to add. But it's just, um, it's sad, uh, the relationship between religion and sex, especially when it's an indoctrinated thing. Because, again, robbing you of your childhood, of natural development, you don't understand, I didn't, even how to flirt with someone just to get to know a man. I had to learn all of that in my 20s, trying to understand how to, you know, interact with the opposite sex in a natural manner, not, well, I'm supposed to do this now, you know? No, you don't have to. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I realized I did not have a 
a non-toxic relationship with a non-manipulative man until I was 25. And I think I'm lucky that I was that young. It is. It's, it's so deep into the core and to kind of go back to what you said about like these organizations are built by men Mm. that built them to keep themselves in power. Yeah. There's this quote, the system isn't broken. It's working as designed. I think brings us back full circle to like the good uncles in the army and like, you know, yeah. the army is one of these systems that is built for men. It's the ultimate boys club. It's the ultimate place you can go to like prove your masculinity and, and be worshipped by the world. And right. it's not surprising that it becomes this misogynist playground with mm-hmm. sexual crimes just endemic. You know, we, we literally say that rape is just a cost of, of wearing the uniform for women. That is and rough. That's what needs to change. The Frankie Files, Cults, Mind Control, and Sexuality in Society by Frankie Tease. Propaganda is strong when everyone pounces on you with groupthink. So if a woman speaks out, she's a dyke. Oh, yep. you, you, you dyke, you, you know, you don't even like men. Well, wait a minute, you know, it shouldn't be a shunning to say this makes me uncomfortable. And that is when you coming right back to the system's working as it should. Men want to stay in power. They don't, it's been a hundred years since we have been able to go to school. Yes, exactly. And it's only been a hundred years we've been allowed to serve in the military at all, right? Oh, hundred? Okay, okay. Uh, it's like 101 or something at this point. Okay. But that's what I really try to show in Uncultured or what was kind of the power of it was exactly what you said, right? When a woman tries to speak out, they immediately just try to demonize her, make her uncredible, all of yeah. these things. And that's why we don't have very many of these just like raw, open tellings of right. what we go through in our service. And in my case, I, right, like coming back to that five, five, 15 minute mile, right? Like it's hard <laughs> for them to accuse me of being a bad soldier. I played mm. boys games and I got all the little blingy things. And so- And you're a badass. And I still, you know, as I say, like, Generally. I'm, I'm very proud of being one of the first women in deliberate ground combat and doing those patrols. And I also want to have the after action mm. review with the nation about yeah. why I was warned to watch my back against my fellow soldiers. Right. 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 Like, like both of those things exist in our experience. Right. And by the way, that was an amazing team that I was on, and I loved the experience. But I was still being sent out untrained, unprotected, and mm. being told that my brothers in arms might gang rape me out on the objective. That That's the experience that we need to talk about and we need to deal with. And mm. I think holding those comparisons, you know, people accuse me of being biased. And of course, I come to the army as a cult survivor. So of course, right. that's what I see. But I think, you know, what I want America to see is that as proud Americans, we should all wish that there were fewer similarities between a sex cult that trafficked children and the U.S. Army. It's like, no, you can be both strong and feminine. It's okay. I do a lot of speeches where I'm wearing a, like, pink dress yeah. that I crocheted myself mm. with a combat badge that I earned myself. Nice, um, and that's actually one of the things I get told all the time. It's like, oh, well, you don't look like a veteran, which is People. very much a 
it's a kind of microaggression called an invalidation, a microinvalidation. Yes. And it's yes. like, but it's so interesting because America does have that perception of a woman yes. veteran is a, a butch lesbian, to, to just say it frankly. Um, and yeah. of course, there are yeah. some that are. And there are. That's your people. choice, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and there are it's your choice to be like me that look like Barbie and wear four inch heels all the time. And like all, all the ways to be a woman are valid and all the ways to be a woman soldier are valid. Hello, be all that you can be. Exactly. <laughs> Their own programming, right? <laughs> Let's wrap it up. Yeah. Um, you also, in the book, you touch on victim shaming, which we've been talking about um, that, I've been really diving deep into this because much of my abuse and programming was sexual and in the call. Um, victim shaming that society does enables lack of accountability for the abuser. It's much more convenient. And the same thing why a person who got out of a cult who was an adult in a cult gets more attention in the news than a child. It's too uncomfortable for society to wrap their head around someone being an indentured sex slave as a youth. It's very uncomfortable. It makes them realize uh, this is in your backyard. This is in, this is your neighbor. This is happening when you go to the grocery store and you see 10 people dressed to like in a cult, this could be happening to them. And it makes them uncomfortable. Well, this is part of what we have to fight against, but it, the victim shaming is such a strong propaganda. I've been really diving into that, trying to understand it. And maybe with your organizational psychology, you can make a comment on that. I mean, I will definitely say the victim shaming is strong. Like I thought when I said I was born in a sex cult, people would understand that I did not sign up for that. <laughs> but people in, in weird follow on questions afterwards, like it, but I do think, again, sort of the power of my story is it's very clear that I did not sign up for any of this. You know, I left right. when I was 15. My right. mother did not sign up for any of this. Right. And this is like how you're brought in and kept in. And it's yes. interesting, too, on the side of victim shaming that people you know, nobody asked me this because I left when I was 15, but many, many of my peers don't get out well into their teens or 20s. People have this perception that like, oh, if, quote, if it was so bad, why didn't you leave when you were 18? Why didn't you move to Cambodia when you were 18 with nothing? Mm. You know, like, like mm. you don't just all of a sudden become a legal adult and one, even know that you're in a cult, right? Mm. And know how to get away or know how to do any of that. You know, for my mom, it takes her till she's literally 39 years old right. to finally be able to grab all her children and leave. Coercion, coercive sex is very underreported. Society doesn't seem to understand not all rape happens in a van with a gun. It's like, no, it's people you know that convince you they deserve this in religion especially, and religion and fear is held over your head. You have to cooperate. There's no choice. Where would I go? It's ironic. In your case, they even trained you to what to do in case you were raided. They had walls ready to defend what was going on. So, yes, I, I mean, people just 
don't get it. And it's like, this is an uphill battle. We're fighting on that. Yes. And to your point, right, people think that if you see them walking around in the grocery store, that means they're free. And that means mm. they have choice. And I, you know, I was oh, contrary. A, a cross country drive six months ago, and I saw all of these little girls in the long skirts with the long hair, mm-hmm. smiling Jesus's love at me. And God. it was so it, it, it is happening. Like you said, it's in your backyard. Um, yes. And I actually think I didn't do this then, but I've since learned, right? One of the most powerful things people can do if you're able to get close to one of those children is just tell them like one of these days you'll be able to get away and there are good people outside, right? Because that's one of the things that they program you with when you're a child is that everyone in the outside world is terrible. And I try to show this in my high school chapters where like, it's all I've ever wanted is to go to school. But I'm right. also terrified. Most people are good, not yeah. evil, right? Yeah, that's one of the things I love and like I plan to do in the future when I see cult kids, good. right? It's just like you can't tell them anything in the moment that their parents are not going to dissect for them yeah. and, and flip around other than like one day when you get free, there are good people out there. Well, how high is your IQ, Daniela? Oh, I've never tested it. <laughs> It's pretty high because, I mean, what stood out, too, is you articulated really well. And this happened for me later in my experience. Cracks begin to appear. You start to question the doctrine that enables such pain. You start to wonder why, you know, uh, Waco, why are we acting so similar? Oh, well, wait, we're not a cult. But you're questioning the similarities. You're starting to see what's really going on. And you had to wait basically until you could get away. Yes, exactly. Um, I I do think, so I don't know what my IQ is, but I do say like, I was born an atheist. At least at the age of six, I knew I was done with God. And I don't know what it is about me, but I am one of those people that doesn't accept and the Mm -hmm. pokes and the prods. And even I think it's the amygdala. Yeah, and even when I put myself into the army by my own choice, right, I still couldn't just accept and go along with things. And I very much think that's part of what got me out early. Well, uh, just to wrap up, I know we're kind of going over time, but it's been wonderful. Um, What is organizational psychology about for you? What motivates you to take that direction? Yeah, so organizational psychology is just the scientific study of why people do what they do in groups, kind of easiest way to explain that, group dynamics. And I found this program at Harvard Mm -hmm. Extension School that was going to allow me to sort of build my own course-ish. Wonderful. And I really wanted to study cults and toxic groups and women in the military and Mm -hmm. After January 6th, I I started studying a lot more about directly the Mm. process of extremism and radicalization and similarities between why people join cults, terrorist groups, or militaries, or any of these kind of total control organizations. Um, But for most people, organizational psychology is they're the consultants that are going to come in and help you just motivate people, do different work dynamic things mm-hmm. which um, you do too right you do too i i do i do i just it's fabulous more on the side of like 
when you go people first, there's a cult yeah. side to that, right? So, so when you go people first, it's great. It's much better than business and profit first. But right. like, what safeguards are you going to put in place to mm. sort of keep this from going off the rails, right? Children of God started off as love, faith, and Jesus and ended Wink. as religious prostitution, pedophilia, and the, the apocalypse. Right. And it's there's a there's a point in there that your organization starts to shift. And I've seen it with nonprofits and right. I've seen it with militaries. And I I am intrigued by I think this concept that all groups have more and more similarities yeah. than differences. And so right. your lovely workplace, your amazing family, your wonderful church is much less far away from being a toxic cult than anyone ever thinks it is. Yeah. One hair's breadth away from turning into David Koresh. Exactly. Um, so, so basically, it gives me great pleasure to see a cult survivor able to make money because a lot of times we struggle to be around people. And, you know, when people hurt you, so I applaud you. I applaud your book. The book was wonderful. I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us here today. And uh, if you would like to give any last thoughts uh, where people can find you and things to look into that you're doing. Absolutely. Uh, best place to find me is on Twitter, Daniela M. Young. That's where I'm the most active. Cult videos on TikTok. Book is already available for pre-order wherever you buy books. Uncultured by Daniela Mestinek Young. Look out for more stuff by me because I'm going to be the Taylor Swift of the literary world. And, and you, you're writing nonfiction, right? I'm doing another nonfiction book, but I'm also okay. working on a few fiction projects too. Wow. I um, can't wait. And I would say finally, you know, the, the one thing I want people to take from this book isn't actually like me calling the army a cult or anything. It's just... The more you sit and think about the dynamics of whatever groups you're in, the better off you're going to be. If comparing it to a sex cult helps you see something, great. Well, your voice is strong. Your voice is loud. It's a pleasure to be in this space with you. So I'm so pleased to have you a veteran and cult survivor on my show. Everybody give it up for Daniela M. Young. Thank you for talking with us, Daniela. Thank you, ma'am. The Frankie Files.